In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to Wednesday. It is the past, the present, the future. I heard a good, I heard a good uh, saying one time. It said, "Tomorrow is the future. Yesterday is the past. Today is a gift. That's why they call it the present." And so I give you the gift of Ranga on this beautiful Wednesday. Be it subject, be it object, or be it observer. What say you, Ranga? I I just read your uh, description in that LinkedIn post. It was nice. Uh, it's always a point of curiosity, right? The subject-object thing. It's about where you draw the line. I think that's where we go back to. Where do I want to enclose the space that I want to consider myself? And then there is a outside view. So it's I I felt that uh, it's easier to erase the line rather than sustain it. It's too much energy. If you are noticing, it's. It's just too much energy in keeping up those barriers of uh, separation. So, do you do you feel the same way? Is that why uh, was that the thought behind uh, that post? Well, I would agree. The amount of energy that goes into trying to dissect our daily life is immense, and I think that that is the point of contention for most people. Like that's where you get stuck. You know, we talk about. Depression is being stuck in the past and anxiety is being trapped in the future. But I, I can't get past this. There, there's some sort of thing that pulls it all together. And it's like this subjugation, whether we're subjugating words or we're subjugating people. And I, I just feel this weird sort of gravity towards language. And like it just... The more that I think about it, the more it enthralls me. And the more that I think about it, the more I see it in my life acting out on the world stage. And not so much in the noises I make with my face, but in the actions that I have with the trees, with my cats, with my family, with 
the workplace. No, no matter what, it's this it's this shell or this cocoon, like you might say, that like I think we're breaking out of. And I, I think it's just part of language. So an example is in any conversation, we have a subject we're talking about. And then I think of it more like this. Like I, I think that in any relationship, it seems to me one person is a subject and the other person is an object. But if you think in that particular way, aren't you objectifying the person that you're talking to? Definitely, right? And uh, the person or, you know, thing or just uh, so-called non-living thing for me, which contains consciousness, right? Uh, does it have a subjective opinion, right? The, the question of solipsism comes to my mind, right? You're the only conscious being and everything else is an autonomous entity that is just happening, you know, to serve for your life, right? That That question is there, but more so... Equally along the lines, the other question is, what if the other person is also, you know, subjectively perceiving you as an object? So at that point, the question is, are you the object or the subject? Right? And it's confusing. It's so confusing. But I, I think that thought process gets my mind to at least calm down mm -hmm. to a certain extent uh, to participate in that dynamic play. Yeah, I... I do you think that that's you taking on the role of the of the observer at that point in time? The role of, um, yeah, I would say awareness, right? Not just yes. being restricted to this body, trying to... Um, I, I do not believe in empathy as much as it's conventionally defined. I think it's very difficult to get to that place of empathizing because we are... Uh, I, I believe we are so triggered with our uh, survival instincts and most of our actions stem from fear of death. So there is going to be a selfish attribute, which is not a bad thing. It is necessity for survival, right? In that sense, the before we split into this idea of maybe I am the awareness watching my thoughts, we are in those thoughts, right? So during right. that, all these subjugation is happening, right? So when we go to awareness, so which awareness am I? Am I the awareness just trapped in this body or the awareness in, trapped in that body or the awareness that is existing as consciousness just because it doesn't have the senses? So where am I, right? And, and that question doesn't have an answer. So continuously asking that is, um, it seems, even though it seems hard at that moment, it seems much more easier for me uh, rather than doing the whole subjugation and, you know, playing that game of you <laughs> and me. What do you mean it doesn't have an answer? Like, why, why, why can't it be both? It, sound, it seems like it's a both and to me. Like, you are both. Yes, You're yes. both. Yes, it's, uh, this, this uh, takes me to this uh, scene that I saw in this new series called A Trip to Infinity. Did you get a chance to catch that? I have not. No, please tell me about it. It's beautiful. It's a 90-minute uh, movie on Netflix. And it's amazing. It's great it has all these mathematical concepts and different people integrating different di uh, multidisciplinary thing trying to explain what infinity is for them right and one of the most simpler explanations to that is uh add you know um use the numbers one plus one minus one plus one minus one and take it to infinity what's the answer right so it's, it's not one or zero, it's both zero and one, right? So that's what infinity is. And in that sense, yeah, 
uh, when we keep asking, am I the subject or the object or am I both, right? The mind is always, for, for me at least at this point in time, it's not consistently sticking to the awareness part. You know, it right. goes into the egoic tendencies to, oh, there is still an identity game. I want to play out of it. And, and that comes from a lot of, I think I was talking with my friend about this. It comes from a lot of uh, conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. So with practice, I think uh, it becomes a smoother transition. For example, I think uh, two months back, we had our first uh, podcast and I was nervous as heck. Like for five minutes, I think uh, my friend also said for 15 minutes, I think I took time to settle in and uh, and it changed, changed, changed. I think two episodes back, it was three minutes of nervousness, two minutes. Now it's like 10 seconds before, just before I click the link. Hopefully right. I'll get to the point where I can click the link and be like, Yep, George, just a moment of nervousness, right? So it's it's I feel like it's always gonna be there. It's about how soon you come back to what is reality for you. Right? And it's it goes without saying that we create our own reality. Yeah, that's a great point. What what is the hang up then? Like what like why do you think so many of us and I think everyone goes through this in their life at some point in time, but what is this hanging on then? Like, is it this inability to understand that you're both the subject and the object, or is it sort of this guilty feeling for objectifying people, or is it maybe a sort of empowerment for, for being a certain way? Like, what do you, why is it that we, some of us live our life around this relationship. Do we not know another way? Is there not another way to do it? Yes, I definitely think so. Until we know there is a better option, we simply don't know about it, right? So it's quite hard to imagine that something else exists, right? It's like, what are the words that you know? Uh, I'm talking English, right? Maybe there are one or two new words that I say which you do not know, you're not going to perceive it. So in that sense, you're going to perceive all the words you know, and you're going to think that, oh, I understand everything this person is saying. But the moment you come across a word that has caught your attention, right? let's say outside on a newspaper or when you're meditating or when you're taking time to understand there is a little bit the opposite way. I only know a little bit. There is always so much to not know. right? When you get to that word and you realize, at least I have realized, within the 48 hours, you listen, hear that word again. And it's like, yeah. wait, is it synchronously happening? Or is it always existing? And I'm, and my perception has attuned to that, right? So when we don't know, we, are, we think we know everything. Once we explore that new part of, oh, there is something new. And then we are always in a... So there is also need to be a healthy balance, right? Suppose if I'm talking and you're consistently questioning wait, is he adding any new word that I'm not aware of? Now he made me start thinking, right? That balance between that and I should also be able to give that leeway of um, give myself the freedom of doubt that, no, I am understanding him so that I can listen. You know what what I mean? You can't just completely hear stuff, neither you can consistently think with what's happening, right? I think... um, I think I drifted a bit, but uh, this reminds me of what Eckhart Tolle says. He on, on his talks, right? He talks with people, and uh, he just says, um, 
so i am talking you are listening but you are not consciously processing every single word like you are not doing it there is a flow to this and you are just understanding right and that's the beauty of it we don't take a step to back to like oh i have to listen to this listening is such a hard thing right we don't do that at least hearing we don't do that listening is a whole another aspect where you are paying attention hmm. right so yeah. yeah it's as i said i'm just gibberish with all these things because it's very it comes as a random set of thoughts and to put it into words it's just difficult and to your question of subject and object uh, it goes back to this um, thing the whole reason i mentioned that if we don't know something we are not going to look for it is because the whole idea of subject and object is created by a subjective mind hmm. right so when we get out of it i don't think these labels work anymore yeah i think that's where we are right now i think that we are working our way towards the end of labeling because it is these labels it is these labels that have pigeonholed us into small mindedness it is these labels that have taken from us our imagination it is the label of conditioning that has allowed us to exist which is a great thing but exist on a plane that and to exist in a container that no longer can hold us okay. you know i yeah. think and i i i really feel we're on the cusp of and and this is just me kind of spitballing too but i i think we're on the cusp of fundamentally changing our language and i i only speak two languages and i know you you speak how many languages do you speak ranga i i speak two languages too okay. one one is my mother tongue tamil and one is english i learned hindi a bit but uh, i understand a little bit but mostly two languages yeah okay so in it's the languages that condition us you know like if like i have a my little daughter sky You know when when she was little and you got her on your knee and you're bouncing and things are fl- coming around and you'll see like a you see a bird fly by and you're like oh that's a hummingbird like you're already in some ways it's beautiful because you're showing them the ways of the world and you're showing them how to to maneuver in this reality that we call it but in the same way every time you teach them something you're stealing from them because you are not allowing them to come up like this could be a magical flying beast with special powers that flap every time it flaps its wings it creates the butterfly effect that puts a tornado in the sicilies over there you know but for them you've just went okay let me just take this from you because you can't have that you need to have these tools to navigate over here so yeah. i i i kind of feel like the old paradigm the old language be it geopolitical or negotiating like all these things are breaking down and it comes back to the language and it comes back to the subject object relationship and i think we are emerging into a new relationship with ourselves and in doing so with the world like that's kind of why i brought it up it's quite amazing what you said about um this flying beast with magical powers right <laughs> yeah you know the way we have to pump up that statement like exaggerate it because before labeling i feel that the connection is so defined so mystical it's nice right it's simple connection right a tree is a tree it's just not labeled it doesn't have to have a superpower of uh, getting uprooted going being the right. tree that is living through eternal but it <laughs> because we have these labels we need to use words such as from from the mystical side like mythical side or a fictional side 
to make that mind expand and see that there is something that lies beyond our normal perception right but you and i are going to fail miserably because it's so hard. it's really hard it took me a lot of time to understand how um a kid being given labels it's going to restrict the view right mm-hmm. because i have lived in a life of labels for so long you know uh, it again it seems like there is no other way to live i mean this is this is what has aided survival for so long this is what has kept the food on our plates and you know made the ends meet and you know uh, generations have been furthering so maybe this is it this is the only way to do it right and then there is a whole another philosophical idea of like what is my purpose here that mm. breaks all these things mm. my question goes back to when how do we ask that we 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 do give platforms for the kids when i say platforms the labels the meanings the way of life i think it's quite essential for the kid to be able to survive or navigate but eventually i think as human we all get to that same part of being frustrated with not being content with the with the external world i think sooner or later or as buddhism says in as in reincarnations over course of lifetimes there comes a point where like man i feel like i've done this right i i always get this feeling i do not believe in reincarnation the way it is said but there is always this feeling that i i do not have the urge to you know have a family or have kids and you know there is another person you sitting in front of me you know we we still have conversations and you have a kid doesn't mean i stop talking to you or does it mean like is it the only way to live there is no one particular way to live so what i'm getting to is that particular point where i feel like i have done this so i don't want to do this right but where does the questioning start i think that's where we go back to every single time where does the questioning start the question does come within like what what made you try all these uh psychedelics it might have started off as curiosity or even as paul said right uh, in in the rave or the party setting it starts right. right uh but how is it happening to you right like for example i wouldn't have imagined growing up in india not having uh, accustomed to any kind of uh, cannabis is a demonized drug in india right mm. and alcohol is also the same so i'm not tried anything until 21 22 i i didn't plan to come to canada right things just happened there is there is the sense that i i have submitted the application i applied the work permit i applied this these are you know namesake it's like uh, clicking the streamyard link to go online but that's all i do after that everything that happens is is a very natural process right but how does this happen right why me why do i get the chance to ask this question and i felt like that question has helped me liberate on so many friends where um so many friends where i the things that i've been bothered about i just realized i don't have to be bothered about but i still see mm. people being bothered about that so my question comes to why me right so in that yeah. thinking mind that comes subject object right subjectively why am i experiencing something and it also feels like cheating i think i tell you every single time <laughs> because a, the labels have convinced you a life of uh, present life of survival i don't think it's a life of being alive what do you think 
Can you what, say, try to help me flesh that out? The question is, why, why me? Is that the is that the basic question? Like, what was the very last question you had said? Do you want me to explain why I have that uh, thing of why me? It's it's more so that. It also comes from attachment to other people, let's say my dad or mom, right? Like most right. of the time, I think two years after my psychedelics, I spent time talking to them regularly, trying to trying to change, you know? Right. See, you're, you're living in a way, again, it all comes from ju judgmental mind. Again, the subjective judgmental mind. So you have to forgive that for a part. But it comes that you're living this miserable life, right? Like uh, being told that this is what you're supposed to do at this age. Now that you have retired... People are telling that, oh, don't work anymore or uh, you, this is the time to start doing traditional things, start becoming more religious, right? That's the only way that is all you can do right now is think of God. I agree, but not the God that we created, the God <laughs> that created us, right? That's the distinction. But the <laughs> point I'm trying to say is, so for the two years, each time I spent time talking, there'll be like, ups and downs and sometimes it feels like oh i think my dad got it and two days later the same patriarchal nature activities keep going on right and there is a point of because of the attachment there is a point of feeling miserable about it man why don't these guys uh, have a thought different from how they are like why are they still thinking that and then the question comes wait why am i thinking differently how did i get this set of um, situations in my life that put me in this place where I could question existence in itself, right? Because I haven't done that. I, I knew language, let's say, since I was five years old. Slowly, I've been learning. And by 18 or 19, I was still able to be cohesive and put a different group of things in words, right? To communicate something. Yet there was no awareness in asking, what am I doing here? So how did that happen? Change from that to... Oh, I need to ask this question and eventually go on to this path of liberating myself. Man, I think that there's some form of projection there. Like, I feel like we're trying cuz i feel the same way I, I don't i often ask myself that same question like why me and you know what like i remember this is this is a similar road but a little bit of a detour but it, we're going to get to the i think we're going to just take a little side trip around there was a while back about a year and a half ago where i had taken like 75 milligrams of 4aco dmt and i remember like i i i was i was playing with it you know for a couple weeks and then i'm like okay i'm going to go big and I came home, I had come home from work and I was fasting all day and I talked to my wife a little bit, you know, and I didn't have like any responsibilities and I, I had taken it. And within five minutes, I'm like, oh my God, I can already feel this. This is going to be, this is going to be strong. Uh oh, you know, you get that feeling like, okay. And like, I'm still in the middle of this conversation with my wife and I'm like, love, I, I'm going to take a shower. You know, I've just taken this. It's going to hit me pretty hard. And she's like, oh, okay, whatever. And so I remember in my mind thinking like, wow, what do I want to learn? Like if I could ask any question, like what would it be? And I, and I thought to myself that the answer to that question that I wanted to ask was, 
I want to know why. And I had kind of left it in general. And like, I was like, I want to know why the world works the way it is. I want to know why I am in the position I am. I want to know why me. And I remember laying in the bathtub and I closed my eyes and then I just saw all these different flashing, like just kids dying and war and like these horrible images, you know? And I was like, I do not want to know why anymore. <laughs> and I heard this voice call out to me, like, it's too late now. And I'm like, oh man. And I remember just laying in the bathtub, like scared, like, why did I just hear a voice? Why am I seeing all these images? You know? And I, like to this day, I still have a little bit of problems trying to integrate exactly what that was. However, I think the question to why me is because you asked, you know, because you walked up to the cliff and you said, Hey, what is this? You know, and, and there's some, there's, there's some, whether, whether it's the, the world, it's God or Buddha or Gaia or, another dimension of yourself or you calling to yourself from another dimension. If you ask, then the answers begin to show themselves to you. The pathway opens up when you're ready. The, the guru or the man or the, the teacher shows up. And so I think just formulating that question in your mind, why me is the answer to that question because you've chosen this because on some level you have decided that you are the person who should know this. And maybe that means you become a teacher. Maybe that means you end up in a mental hospital or maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe that means that you sell all your stuff and you move to a small Island or you leave everything you've ever known and move to Canada. Like maybe that's why, you know, maybe, maybe that part of Canada, maybe this other part of the world is where you're supposed to be because you're supposed to influence a young man or a young woman that you will never even know that you influence. But I, I think the answer to why me is, is a subjective one, but the, you know, I, you're definitely the object of, of why me, but the subjective <laughs> answers are there. <laughs> that was that amazing. <laughs> that was, that was quite nice. Um, so, I followed you until the point you said my higher self, right? That's where okay. I have a differing opinion where, where there is only one higher self, whereas there's just one consciousness behind this. And we all reach the same state of awareness and there is no, the boundaries dissolve and you realize that it is just one as many and many as one, right? And then, then the question still stays because if you give a, explanation saying that my higher self, right? Like you, you have your own branch sitting in your higher dimension, right? Again, it comes from boundaries. Again, it's, it's a very subjective answer. I believe all, all my questions also comes from a very subjective mindset because on psychedelics, right? Or maybe eventually with meditation, it, there comes a point of the self dissolving. So when that happens along with that goes the question as well. Why me? Because there is no you in that part. But subjectively, when we are talking about this, this question comes. And if I'm going to choose a different perspective to what you said and not consider there is an individual higher self for each of us, but there is not just one, one consciousness, right? One divine self behind this. And the question still remains. Why me? It could have been someone. It could have been 
anyone right like it could be that billions of people are existing right and millions of people are getting uh help from the medicine but subjectively the question comes objectively from science point there is a deeper understanding of the cause and effect right when i keep thinking of everything happening in terms of just domino effect and there is literally I, i it's very peaceful for me to see it from that way because my anger with people or culture or religion right dissolves completely or at least it's an effort to dissolve completely because the same way i ask why me maybe if i consider myself i'm making better choices with my life given my transitions that the, the people that i'm judging about just don't know better right and it's based on cause and effect they were taught this based on this causes they are creating this effect which are becoming causes for something else right and then they become th- this is the whole domino effect that is going on so it's helpful that way it, as i said this i'm just rambling all these because this is where my mind is right. going from right jumping from this side to that side and as i say it's the pendulum for me i see it as a journey it's like whenever it comes to the balance i enjoy the calmness and it goes to polarities and uh, <laughs> again we were my friend and i yeah. were talking about the uh, how the books ramdas wrote it mm. took me 2 3 years to understand what it meant like uh, one of the lines was ep create police and police create peace i i didn't understand it until this suddenly i was sitting oh wait i am being the police to my dad and i am being the hippie to my dad as well <laughs> whenever he's yeah. policing me i'm trying to be rebellious and whenever he's being you know uh, culturally constrained i try to be this oh no mm. you break out of it you know and um, yeah it's it's liberating and uh, i feel like it's on some level i think we were talking about labels the other day yes. in the group right labels can be harmful again just like anything else it's such a magical tool right to keep it there and again sorry for jumping but how do we jump from this part to having our mindset be detached to those labels i think uh, that's what our important part is subject object these definitions can exist i can call you a bastard you can call me a motherfucker it doesn't matter how much are we going to get attached to that idea who oh, how dare he talk about this in you know maybe this is not the right space to do it so how do we get detached from that idea so that um, yeah we can say all we want to say it's for fun Well, my, you know, my parents got divorced when I was younger, so I guess technically I'm a bastard. And my wife has kids, so I'm technically a motherfucker as well. <laughs> so I see I your know. labels and I thank you. <laughs> I I it's beautiful. I I uh, told my um partner she was uh, calling her dad motherfucker and it's like that's the perfect person you can call <laughs> because like that that is that's exactly yeah. 100% true, right? And <laughs> nothing to be <laughs> said about it's like It's just a fact. Dude. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's. So let let me. Our good friend Ben. Yes. Has this to say. He says, "What we know is encapsulated in a symphony of vibration, encoded in sequences." See, this is why I love Ben. Like, no one else would break it down like this. <laughs> I interpreted know. interpreted through a massive parallel processing unit, we dub a brain. Our shared ability through awareness allows. us to verify to know okay. but not absolutely but subjectively 
even in objective observations. Now, I see a systems guy here. I see a guy speaking in the labels of a system, and he's really elegant in what he says. And if I, if I take what he says, and I take your question of why me, and then I also add in your idea of us being one consciousness. Can, I don't think there can be, if we're one consciousness, there is no me. Maybe the question is why we or why us, right? Because if there's one consciousness, then you and I are just a manifestation, a thought in the mind of God and, and you know, some sort of thought that's working its way through the prefrontal cortex trying to manifest itself in the world and so maybe the might the question be why us and if you I want wanna, the answer to that question it would just be looking at that person next to you trying to figure out who you are how about i just ask you one question here because okay. i want you to further that explanation okay when you say us right why okay. us that question again this question would be completely meaningless without them. Hmm. If you so just why what's, what's the meaning of the word <laughs> us if there are no them? What's the meaning of darkness and light when there is just only lightness, right? Like what's the sound of one hand what's the sound of one hand clapping, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I cut you off. It's because maybe us without them is wholeness. Maybe that's what we're trying to achieve. Maybe we can have us without them. Maybe that's the problem that we have is that there's too much of us and them. And that if we just had, if it was just us, then we'd have justice. <laughs> you know, I've loved your wordplay for the time that I've listened to you. I've told you, his story is my favorite way to say things to people now. You know, well, that, like, the, the grain of salt <clears throat> story, <throat> right? Uh, yeah, continue. I, I actually didn't. What, what's the grain add. of salt story? Tell me. No, the, the oh. grain of salt and when people are saying history to people, yes, take it with yes. a grain of salt, which is yes. his, his story, right? Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. It it's, I, I, See, and that gets me to the idea, back to language. There's so much in the etymology. There's so much in every word that just flies by, flies by over my head so much. I think this is, this is one reason I am where I am. Because when I was little, I always got caught up in words. And I, people couldn't even finish a sentence. And I'd be like, wait, wait, what does that mean? Are you saying this? Or are you saying that? Why does this word have two words in it like that? Why is it his story? I don't want, what about our story? You know, and the people would just be like, my teachers would just be like, Dude, George, you're, you're disrupting the class. And I, it's it's an honest question, you know, I, I, and maybe it wasn't even something like history or history, but it, it was just small things that I didn't understand. And I always got somewhat penalized for it. And, you know, I just couldn't figure it out. And to this day, when I hear words, like I, I have to stop and stare at the person because I'm like, what are they telling me? Are, are they telling me this thing on a frontal level that just comes out that they're talking about, you know, who they are? Or are they telling me 
that they've been abused, you know, like, cause if you just, if you listen to what people tell you, it's somewhat frightening. People are very honest and it comes out with just this, this just expo explosion of sound. But if you have the patience to sift through the sound, you can see what they're trying to say. And like, just, just listen to that. Like try and see what people are saying. Use your eyes to see their words. And like that itself is a way of communicating more effectively. And think about how many of these little idiosyncrasies there are like, Oh, I, I, I see what you're saying. Or, yeah, you know, there's all these, these inter interplay between the, the senses and language. And so on some level, I, I feel that, touches the subject object relationship but you know there i think that there's more to it maybe maybe like the, the observer maybe it's like an atom or something and there's all these things circling around it and, and i don't know i don't have a working model for it yet but I, I, I it blows my mind and there's something there and sometimes i think that if we could add some sort of honorifics onto our language like you know the same way that we have a prefix and a suffix to denote you know, before and after. What if we had like a new prefix? Like if you put in an X in front of every word that denotes honesty, that means that I know we're talking in a language that cannot be bullshitted. Like that would do away with contract law forever. Like, oh, he's speaking in wrong before. That means he's being honest, you know? <laughs> in the same way, like why, why can't you have a prefix or a suffix that says, now I'm talking in sarcasm. And then like, you know, you could change the language that we speak by adding a word in front of another word, and it it would do away with the ambiguity of language. <laughs> what do you think? Let's do it. Let's just set that up. Nah, I don't think I'm <laughs> participating in these games of language creation <laughs> anymore because I've... Um... Have you seen the movie Invention of Flying? Mm -mm. No, I have not. It's, it's quite nice where... Uh, Everyone is honest that they don't know what lying is, right? Mm. So they show you, they set the premise of the movie, you know, people are meeting for dates and it's like, see, you're ugly. I'm not going to get turned on by you. So <laughs> let me cancel the date because this is not going to work, right? Things like that. And to the point where just this one person has a thought of like, um, a computer stops failing and he wants to withdraw some money. She asks how much uh, is there in your account? And he says, you know, wait, I need 500, but I only have 200. So it clicks. And he says that amount and the computer starts working. But since people don't know what lying means, she doesn't trust the computer. She trusts the wo human's word, right? Mm. And I kind of, kind of spoiled it for you, but it's still a good movie that you can watch. But my question from there is, what if language was created for that intent only, right? What if... Mm. People thought we're just going to be honest, right? <laughs> what if we are just supposed to be honest, like rather than seeing it as a way? <sighs> Sorry. No, it's good. Keep going. You're, I got you. What I, I, I didn't lose a chain of thought this time. Like I usually do. It, was, it is more that uh, how do I put this? Because um, if I feel like, whenever I have tried to use these words in a different way than how I actually feel, it was 
towards fulfilling a desire or avoid you know repercussions because of fear right i think it goes back to the base of what buddhism says cravings and aversions right and i feel like i just see life very simpler in that way where i'm either trying to lie my way through to get something done or to avoid something right but it's because i took this vocal ability for a uh, for granted right i had no respect for it i didn't see it as a it's it's a, it's a great gift to be able to you know where is this thought process happening where is this part that's happening um, you know in your head uh, as benjamin says it's all <laughs> the parallel processing unit which we dub as brain for sure <laughs> again it's happening in a dimension as you say when you use uh, idiosyncrasies like i see what you're saying like mm-hmm. wait where are you seeing this right <laughs> where, where is that <laughs> i want to also see it right um so i feel like when i focus on that area of what's happening and i'm trying to put this in manifest form in this manifest world in an interaction with another being right so at that point if i am trying to see this as a gift all i can do is be honest with what's happening because even your 100% honesty is a very rough approximation of your internal structure so the moment mm. you even begin to lie your 180 degree on the opposite side of your path that you should be going you know so if you want to put bunch of words with x it's a matter of time before we start misusing it right because the underlying structure i feel like the world is operating on i don't want to go into detail about it at least the way that i have been convinced of this capitalistic model of more better mm. or growth or you know eventual growth right it it is kind of that model and also the part where the compromise between helping for the future versus the present so these are questions that i keep battling right so how this this translate to the part is that the, my fundamental thinking of the brain was in a way very egoically selfish now i say it is selfish in a sense that i want to find out where is this selfish hiding did i lose you there i'm just trying to figure out where the selfishness hides in me <laughs> 75 mg 75 mg 75 mg <laughs> yeah no it'll Man, come out it... how how did you try the maximum i think i've tried is 40 and it was so good i end up with a neck problem the next day because i do a lot of headbang you for mm. songs um but i can't think of more than 40 you know it's like So when when I I think you were talking with Jason about your 75 mg and I was like George cool man I see why you want to order 2 3 grams I order like 500 mg at once I see why you want to order 3 grams at once <laughs> But um okay let's just jump from there yeah. forget selfishness and everything I'm very curious because you mentioned 75 mg right so Okay where compared to your lower doses right mm-hmm. how much do you think was there a conscious presence like or or egoic presence right now you you are, do you have a difference do you want to define what would be your egoic thing does e- is ego a bad word for you or a neutral word how do you see ego yeah let's try to define what ego is so we can have this conversation yes. i think ego is the narrowing 
of your view so that I think that ego is is the individual having a narrow view so that it only encompasses itself. And so that would be pure ego. I think on a daily basis, most people are running like 50-50. You know, you have the ability to care about your family and, and want to have great conversations and want to help people. And, and hopefully most people do that. Hopefully most people wake up and want to make everyone around them better. However, like you said, we are selfish in that we must survive. We must have, you know, we get back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and food and shelter. So I would say that the ego is the 50% that looks out for number one. Mm. Would you agree with that? Or would you want to change that in any sort of way? I, growing up, I think I, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned your ego in India, at least, or the terms that I have learned was related to having an attitude towards things or having the show off or mm -hmm. like, you know, convincing people that it's more of a status game, right? So mm -hmm. I realized my first thing was it was not the actual definition of ego because ego was used in many fields where it, it was seen as a neutral thing, right? It took me time to come to that thing, but at least I dismantled the definitions that were given to me and I started approaching yeah. this with a different view. So again, I bring Ramdas here because I love the way he defines things in okay. that sense is that ego is just a vehicle through which the senses are interacting and relates to the external world. Okay, right? I like that. Right? And if you see that, again, just, just about anything, right? It's, it's a tool, mm -hmm. right? Now you have this tool. The funny thing is awareness and ego in at least by personal experience does not coexist within myself. I do not want to use words of, um, let's not involve any other being. Let's just be you. Okay. You could still be selfish and selfless. If it's just you two, it's just funny that way. Like, what are you going to selfless be selfless about? It's just funny that way. But let's say you're the last person on the earth and let's not involve family, nothing. So in that sense, you could still operate on an egoic sense and you can operate on an awareness sense. So that's how I see it. So ego doesn't come down to letting go of our selfish thoughts because for me, ego also encompasses all fear-based actions. I see mm. ego as an autonomous entity that is operating to survive, right? Sometimes how I see is uh, the survival, right? If the fear of death, I see that as the ego. It keeps changing. Sometimes I see it's just this, uh, you know, how traffic jams exist. One car mm -hmm. is not a traffic jam. It's like thousands of cars and traffic jam is this illusion that's happening, right? When you are actually caught in a traffic jam, for you, it's just a car before you. The traffic jam is the concept when thousands of cars interact, right? People, uh, I think one of the psychologists uh, used this as an analogy to define consciousness, <laughs> right? Each sense alone is something, but they were interacted in a very... Uh, innumerable number of connections happen and then this self-awareness or ego right these all are, originate from the same place of interactions of senses i feel like okay i i, I see the relevance between uh, your 
thing in right. mind it's definitely that egoic as a self uh, selfish tendency because i feel like it's that survival is there yes i agree yes. right so in that sense let's continue to the part where uh if you are also seeing ego as a neutral term right so how would you define with your lower doses to medium doses to higher doses how would you define what was happening differently between each of these trips okay so i think that a lower dose and are we just talking about for aco dmt or are we talking about psilocybin in general it could be any drug okay i love all drug. drugs yeah all of them you love all of them <laughs> i don't you love all of them like there's some bad ones <laughs> oh, look at you yes George, i've i've tried try. i i've tried coke and i would say mm-hmm. i i it's not something i want to do because i have a curing machine i'll just make two cups of coffee if you know what i mean <laughs> so yeah probably not all drugs all psychedelics let's say i haven't tried yeah. so let's let's just come to lsd and psilocybin so you can you can choose yeah. the drug that you want to talk about I, I real real fast. I've always thought it would be funny if someone asked Sigmund Freud about his cocaine problem, and then he just said, "Sometimes a line of coke is just a line of coke." <laughs> that would be funny. Okay, so I think that on a lower dose level of psychedelics, at least for me, I would say that anything between a, a micro dose. and an eighth so three and a half grams is a really good thinking dose like it allows you to have full control over your thoughts but see the world in a different way it allows you to see everything around you with fresh eyes if that kind of makes sense and then if i take a higher dose once i start getting up into a higher threshold say somewhere between 3 and 1/2 and 7 grams i think that that is the beginning of witnessing the slow down of the ego as we described it i think at that point in time you begin to think i think at that point in time you're going to to see a more wholeness at that level and the more that i've done the bigger doses until recently between i would say around 15 grams or maybe like 55 grams of 4-ACO DMT. I, I was under the impression that there was some sort of second plane. And what I mean by a second plane was that between 7 grams and like 13 grams, things got foggy for me. Like at the it would be really intense and you know, I would have some really deep thoughts, but I could never bring anything back. I, I once heard it said that You know, these big doses of psychedelics is like setting sail onto the sea of chaos and you are 
whisked out into the middle of this chaotic ocean and waves are crashing all over you and you try and throw out your net and let it sink to the bottom. And in the midst of this chaos, as you're coming back, you pull up your net and hopefully you can bring back an idea that you can share with the tribe. But I found between seven and like 13 grams that the, the net doesn't go deep enough or the it's not strong enough. And the idea or the sub, substance or substance you want to bring back rips through that net. So once you start hitting, at least for me, like 15 and higher, I, I think that that's when you begin to pierce the veil. Like I think that that is when you begin to get the clarity of the idea that can change you as a person forever. You can catch glimpses of the idea. You can see it out of the corner of your eye. You know, like those little floaters you have in your eye. Like if you look and you're like, Oh, there's something moving, you know, but it's just like a little scratch on your eye. That is psychedelics from zero to 14 grams. It's like a floater in your eye. But once you start hitting the higher doses and once you hit the higher doses, the clarity becomes congruent with the idea and you can bring it back and you can talk about it. The trick is that you're not in your right mind. And I mean that, you know, me in words, like you're not in your right mind. Like you, in fact, you know what? Shit, you might be in your right mind. You might be in the part of your mind that has all the concepts. You might be in, in the part of your mind where all the resource material, where the raw data is formed. And that's why you can go in there and search. You know, it's like a, it's like John Searle's Chinese room. When they talk about a computer, like the computer will go, you, you ask a computer a question, it'll go into its database and find what you're looking for and bring it back to you. But it's, it's more like you going into that room and looking for stuff and being like, ah, uh, you know, you can ask someone to go get something for you, but the chances are they're probably going to grab the wrong color or the wrong thing. But if you go in that room, you can really find what you're looking for. So I think at these higher doses, you know, you, you come back with these ideas, but the, the, the problem is like, it's so clear. It's so crystal clear to you. And I'll give you an example. So. I, I had recently done a dose of like 18 grams on these albino penis envies. And I just, I came to this conclusion, like, like I, I remember coming down looking at my library and for some reason I, I was looking around, I had like the Bible out and I'm like, dude, Jesus was totally an alien. He's totally an alien. And you know what? I'm an alien. And now it all makes sense to me. And like, I'm like, God damn it. How did I not know this? And then I thought to myself, you know, it freaked me out because I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. I'm an alien. Jesus was an alien. And I see all these other people that are aliens. And I'm like, man. And, and it freaked me out. Like for, for 10 minutes, I just, I laid on the ground like, holy shit, I'm an alien. I'm a fucking alien, man. This is crazy. And then I thought like, I people need to know this. Like what would happen? And this is, this is balls deep in this trip. I'm like, what would happen if everybody realized that we're aliens, man? The world would go crazy. Like, that's probably why they're not telling everybody, you know? <laughs> and so, but it was so, it was clear to me as two and two plus four. Like I knew it without a doubt, without a doubt. And so when I came back down from that trip, I came to the idea of like, wow, this is what it must be like 
for some people in psychiatric hospitals that believe wholeheartedly that they are the second coming of Jesus. And I get it. Like I could totally empathize with someone who is in their own mind, the Messiah and totally believe it 100%. Like I understand what that's like. And like, it's a powerful thing to think about. Like, wow, these people, it's, it's not that they're crazy. It's that it's just a different reality. And if, if more people believed it, then it would be the reality. The mainstream you know? reality. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think that that, I'm not sure if, if, that answered your question as far as to the different doses and the beings in ego. But I think at the higher doses, the idea of ego no longer exists. And I, I, I think that even at doses up to like 14 grams, I don't think there's an ego death. I don't think ego death really begins to happen until you hit these higher doses where you are actually in another reality. Okay, before I start, you you had so much to say and it was very nice. <laughs> I wanted to ask what would your translation be between, um, you know, a particular dosage of shrooms and a particular dose of LSD? How do you compare? I know that they are totally different, totally different the way things happen. Yet on some level of, let's say, achieving ego death, right? Um, what, what would your rough translation be this is a little trickier for me because i haven't done lsd for a while i think the most i've ever done was i think i ate a 10 strip one time and <laughs> is that 100 mcg in one i think so yeah yeah you it was a thousand yeah well here's the story here's the, kind of a funny story so we were to, I went to Disneyland and we were, I had an awesome Volkswagen bus and I had planned this trip and there was going to be like 20 of us that were all going to Disneyland. And so I was the guy that could score the acid. So I had scored like, I don't know. I think I had scored like 40 hits or something like that. Okay. You know, I'll get like two for everybody or something like that. And then by the time the trip came up, it was me, my sister, her friend, me, Craig, and Travis. So there were six of us. And we get out and we all took like two before we got there. And I I, I brought them. If you have 40 hits of acid, you're probably going to bring them, right? I don't know why I brought them, but I brought them. And so we we took two. And then on, on right about an hour before we got there, because we wanted it to kick in when we parked. And so... We get out of the van and my friends are like, look, man, we should just take two more because we're going to be here all day. Okay. So now we're at four, right? And we're starting to feel pretty good and we're cruising around and we get to Splash Mountain, which is this, it's like a water log ride. And so, I remember, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. we're in line and, you know, about two hours in and like, you know, things are getting pretty good. I'm starting to. I'm starting to have a little bit of trouble talking. Like my words are kind of coming out like jumbled, like Jarson, you know, <laughs> what the fuck did that guy say? I'm like, Oh, sorry. Uh, you know, and, and, and we're having a good time. And then we go on, we go on splash mountain and we get into this big water fight. Hey, everybody, blah, 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 blah. we're fighting, fighting, playing. And we get off and I'm like, I got to pee. So I go to the bathroom and I realize I'm totally drenched in water. And I have like, 
a ton of hits in my pocket. And I'm like, dude, I'm covered in water. And this LSD is in my pocket. It's probably going to get into my skin. I should probably just eat them. <laughs> and so at that point in time, I called everybody over and we divvied up, you know, we divvied up whatever I had in my pocket. I don't, I don't know if I had brought 40 with me, but I know it was about 10 that I ate that day. Cause I ended up eating another six, I think. Cause we did like, if I don't give, I'm going to fucking, this is all going in my body. If I don't give them away or eat them. And I, it was in my pants pocket. Maybe it wouldn't have, but I remember, you know, I wasn't really in my right mind. So yeah, that, that, that day was, it was uncontrollable. And then from, I remember walking around Disneyland and there was this guy, his name was Farley and he was playing like the violin. He was singing songs and like, it was just so crazy. I mean, it's the happiest place on earth. And that day, I think it was extra happy. You know, but I guess that's a roundabout way of saying on the topic of comparing, you know, LSD high doses to different doses of psilocybin or 4-ACO-DMT. It's not a real fair comparison because I was out and about. I'm at yeah. Disneyland. I'm with a group of people where the big doses I have done here uh, were, were by myself. A funny, yeah. uh, uh, One more story about Disneyland coming back. So, you know, we had got there when it opened and we left at 10 after we watched Fantasia and stuff. And. We go back to my van. We're smoking some bowls and, you know, I, I'm coming down, but like, I'm still, I'm still pretty fucked up, man. And I remember like I lived in San Diego and Disneyland's in Los Angeles. So it's about an hour and 45 minutes. And I remember driving in my van, like at 1130 at night, coming down the freeway, brrr, I had a bright orange Volkswagen van with a grateful dead sticker on the back. And like, you know, obviously we had a bunch of weed with us because you're going to have to have weed if you're doing LSD yeah. or at least I, that's, that was my motif back then. And, uh, yeah. So we were driving in my van and like, we just fucking smoked a joint and like, you know, I'm doing, I don't know, 55. Cause that's what you do in a Volkswagen van. And I, I look back in my rear view mirror and I can see like my, my two friends are kind of passed out. And then my sister and her friend are like sitting in the backseat, kind of chit chatting a little bit. And we had, we had the doors going and it was just like, break on through to the other side. We're jamming. And I look in my rearview mirror and like, I see a fucking cop car behind me. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is not good. And I'm in a van, you know, with a Grateful Dead sticker on the back at 1130 at night. You know, And I'm like, dude, this guy's totally going to pull me over. Yeah. So I'm driving and I look over to the side and there's another car. Like there's no one on the freeway except me, the cop behind me. And then there's a car in the slow lane going the exact same speed as me. I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is so crazy. And I'm like, and like, do I tell the people behind me that there's a cop? I'm like, I probably shouldn't tell them anything. They're gonna freak out. They're gonna fuck up my driving. Yeah. You know. And meanwhile, Jim Morrison's just singing, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what's gonna happen. And the cop comes up real close, and it seemed like 20 minutes. It was probably five minutes, but like, I'm just driving, and then like the cop throws his lights on and I'm like, oh, I'm fucked. And I'm like, all right, well, like I got to wait for this car to get over. And so, you know, like then the cop goes be like, I'm, I turn on my, my, my signal to get over cause I'm going to get pulled over. And then the cop gets behind the other guy and pulls him over. And I just kept going. And I was like, dude, no way. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, Hey, you guys see that? And they're like, see what? <laughs> You know, but it was, it was a, it was a weird intervention there, but thank you for letting me share that story. It's been a long time since I've got to share that story. And I, it was a really fun time for me. 
I don't know high doses. In, it's difficult to compare the two. I think that the loss of language on LSD is something that is definitely more apt to that. Like there's times on high doses of LSD, be it five or 10, like I, you can't even talk. Like I could not form any words at all. I could not talk to you. I could make noises, but it would be complete gibberish. And, you know, it, it seems a much more abrasive, a much more, you know, threatening force to me where it's like, dude, you're going to just being having my head pushed up against a wall. So it felt to me like there was a real, real changes going on that were beyond my control. And you're talking on, about LSD. This LSD. One. Yeah. I see. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. that the, the four ACO DMT or any particular types of derivatives from the ones I have done, they seem to work with you in a way that is more friendly, you know? So I, I think that maybe the visuals on some level seem to be a little bit less organic on LSD. They seem to be a little bit more, um, a little bit more harsh, I guess I would say, and not, not as, geometrically friendly in the way that it treats you and your body and the way you see things. So, but I also think that maybe the boundaries are ripped away in a way, not so much on, 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 um, mushrooms or on mm. 4 DMT. What is your take on the difference? How, how have you, how have you balanced the difference? What it was so nice. I loved listening to you. <laughs> you know, it was nice. I, my, I, I, I had like, I don't, I didn't have anything to share. <laughs> so let's start from the part where you said about um, mushrooms and then I'll go to LSD. Your zero to 14 grams reminds me of the lyrics from Comfortably Numb. <laughs> right? When I was a child, I caught a fleeting glimpse. I turned to look at the corner of my eye <laughs> and you know, it was gone and the child has grown and the dream has died. It's so beautiful. Like, I, I feel like um, that is true. Dosage-wise, though, it differs. It differs for uh, different people, I think. Uh, I have had... Again, it's all subjective experiences. But right. for me, what felt like a really breakthrough has happened as small as 200 to 300 mcg of acid. And 300 is the maximum that I've tried. And I felt LSD was much more liberating. So I had, I don't know if you looked at my face, I had this shocking response to how you were saying about the psilocybin was gentler than LSD, which LSD was ripping apart. I was like, I feel like I hated my concept so much that when it tripped it out, I was like, man, thank goodness. <laughs> because I have had bad trips in psilocybin. You know, there is a new research that is going on, which focuses on, all your insights that you get on psychedelics are not true. So mm -hmm. after you have an aha moment, it's very important to, you know, question it. You're not going to lose anything out of it. There is not going to be any loss of magic from it, right? So question it. You have nothing to lose. And I feel like that is just a prerequisite for integration, right? But the reason I said that is because um, I've had, let's say, three, 3.5 grams of golden peaches now that I've read about potency and stains and uh, I don't think it wasn't as much compared to let's say it would be two grams of penis envy uh, that's what I found find in Google but what it did was 
it made me really introspective mm-hmm. yet i felt like with psilocybin sometimes a guide and an intention is much more necessary than lsd um because as your it's i wouldn't say it's gentler but it's very smoother in breaking these barriers it doesn't rip apart like lsd but one of the side problems of this barriers slowly getting removed is that i felt like i get got landed in one of those barriers and became obsessive over a thought you know and mm. the fear mm. thought that was ruling yeah. my life 2 years back was uh, oh man i have graduated now i need to find a job so i'm sitting yeah. here 11:30 pm in my room you know and uh, i was and I, i wasn't comfortable and confident enough to say that i was using psychedelics not even to my friends so my friend is staying in the next room mm. and he, and he came and he's like uh, i don't sleep until 2 am usually so he comes in mm. at 11:30 he sees me curled up in the bed he's like what are you doing i'm like nothing i am not feeling good you know and he left <laughs> and i'm like that that was the initial greatest trigger that sent me into this spiraling bad trip because like to mm-hmm. i'm in the state of awareness I, and i'm still not confident enough what's fucking wrong with me right and yeah why couldn't i be honest is it because i tripped last week also am i like because at the time what i was reading was oh you need to space it out and you need to give space between trips and again you until you have your own personal exploration you're going to have a basic you know flexible guidebook on which you're going to follow so yeah. those judgmental was there and i got landed in this uh, barrier in my brain you know and i kept obsessing over like maybe i should do something maybe i should do something maybe i should do something right and uh, i've i got terrified i don't think i had shrooms for almost a year after that right during which lsd happened a couple of times and mm-hmm. both of times i think 150 and 200 mcg respectively and they were very awakening in a sense where the ripping apart is so true but it was so liberating because i i simply couldn't make a mistake in getting lost in a obsessive thought i simply didn't have the chance yeah i lost the ability to speak along with it mm-hmm. went the desire to speak as well so silence seemed beautiful right yeah. and it taught me a lot of things was like wait if i don't have a particular sense and if i do not know that a particular sense world exists i wouldn't know i would be happy about it you know what i mean like on some level we kind of uh, <clears throat> i'm so sorry the, no. the other part of the discussion where you said about uh, language and stuff it all my my i think i started this discussion with you and i have been very curious for the last month so i think we should continue that part of discussion sometime but it's what would deaf and blind people feel like when we say mm. language as these many things so are deaf and blind people are they liberated as they come do, do they not have you know uh, problems they get caught into you know conceptual problems or are they in a different consciousness of the mind right or a different awareness of course they are going to be just because of how their senses are interacting uh, but leaving that alone what lsd did was in some way it stopped this normal senses of the world you know how psilocybin you said you, it took you to the central processing area or the room where the data is handled in a raw form which is quite true with lsd how do i even put it <laughs> what if i didn't have senses right what would be left and it was quite interesting if i didn't have the senses i'm not going to be obviously able to explain that but that's the part i was in 
and compared to your experiences it was vice versa right i found lsd to be so gentle and uh, this person randall right he's writing a book on psychedelics and uh, he was focusing on this one aspect we do not have many people talking about lsd so we want more people talking about lsd and i and i love that and um, all these discussions right it's it's helpful your your stories are amazing like maybe next time i i i bought penis nb a while back it's sitting in my kitchen drawer and i don't have the guts to take 5 grams i want to take it and there's so much that's happening within me there's this you know it's nice yeah. this nervous feeling is nice yeah. enjoyable but where does this come from what, what am i nervous about and when when that is there i feel like my work lies there i want to find yes. out what in my sober sense i want to find out what this nervous feeling is at least to a part where it is handleable you know what i mean because mm-hmm. i feel like i have gotten to this point with enough individual trips that uh, it's not that i do not want a guide but i feel like this this drug uh, this medicine i am interacting in a one on one and even at that point this one dies and that medicine one takes over and it's quite interesting there is no external don't seem to be i don't mean to seem to be rude but it's like at that point there is no help that can come from outside you know what i mean yeah it's just simply like literally there is no one outside that can because you are at that point where fuck man it's just you it's yeah. only you there is nothing else that's existing right so because of that there is no convincing that oh yeah i can have a sitter and take it i clearly cannot convince myself that even having one best sitter even if i had my partner you know who i'm confident in speaking on my sober times if i had her sit it still doesn't give me the confidence to so hats off to you for doing 10 strips of acid i i, I don't know if it is trauma based or curiosity based or bad <laughs> where that comes from it's not a place to question and label it it's rather we just embrace it and you know enjoy it yeah, i don't know if it's magic or tragic you know i mean i i was with I was with I was a kid man and I was with my friends and you know you're not <laughs> in your 20s in your late in your early 20s like you're not your brain's not fully formed like this is a great idea no it's not that's probably not a good idea at all you probably you know but a lot of the times that's when you get your work done and and um you know I, I'm curious though if we can go back to your LSD trip and and when your friend came in the room and you were in this state where you were questioning and that was shrooms by the way sorry yeah okay yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. so so do you think that maybe that particular experience may be affecting why you don't want to do high doses now is it that same feeling of like questioning that you were like oh man what is this how come i'm how come i don't have this job or how comes this why am i acting this way is it, is it that feeling of uncomfortableness that you the fact that you told me that story means to me that you still hold that story with with fondness in some way and do you yeah. think that maybe it's that that particular experience that's that's maybe putting up a hand to say wait a minute I don't know if you should do this 5 grams I love it when you call my bullshit right see that's <laughs> that's the problem that's sitting in the subconscious and I I I definitely think it's the reason because if you were placing a couple of taps of acid now i wouldn't have hesitation mm-hmm. 
I wouldn't have a bit of hesitation because of how it has been. With with magic mushrooms, I think there is a lot of work for myself to do in that area of subconscious where these fears are stemming, and it has, of course, it has a lot to do with that particular night, and also mm-hmm. maybe a couple more other times where I I felt like. So what LSD did was take away these concepts and you know throw it, and I had these like this beautiful clay, mm-hmm. which is life, and I can do whatever I want, right? Yeah. And as all religion says, do not do something that is gonna that you don't want to be done unto yourself. With that particular thing, I go about doing anything, and it seems fine, right? Mm-hmm. And what Shrooms has done is uh, sometimes played this uh, game with me with respect to the concepts I had. Mm-hmm. So. my question is like it's very important for me to add those experiences again to see at what level i have subtler concepts that are holding me from you know mm-hmm. being in the present moment mm-hmm. so right now it it becomes the bigger tool i think that's that's all i want to mention because that's what it does that's what the medicine does most people who are afraid of the medicine mm-hmm. it's just gonna help them it's just stripping the bandaid off i truly believe that right like there is this book uh, this person wrote and he has been marketing it's nice uh, psychedelics are for everyone right mm. yeah he says in a very nice uh, way psychedelics are not meant to be taken by everyone but they are for everyone it's beautiful right that's it's that subtle nuance it's like contradicting statement put together but mm-hmm. there is a there is an idea behind it and i believe that and all the fear that stems is because of that unprocessed area right mhm but i also feel having had this experience you know when i see people with similar mindsets that i have had 3 years back i would prefer lsd before magic mushrooms right because even with my partner i i saw that she had taken uh, aco dmt and mm-hmm. her come down was introspective mm-hmm. and more emotional but if you if we both were talking about this and these emotional aspects were emotional blackmailing that was done by indian families right sure but shrooms gets you to that point where you're still emotional about it so there is no processing you're you're just playing the troll it's not that it's bad you it doesn't take you that that awareness that is watching this emotions arising mhm right you get caught in the, i feel like i have got caught I feel like Uja has got caught, but LSD has ripped it apart like anything. You know, I love that word. How you say it trips that thing. <laughs> Yet it, once it's done, when you revisit shrooms again, now it is a uh, even at places where you go into the so-called bad trip, there is an underlying awareness to stick with it. You know, mostly there is the subtle resistance against it that magnifies it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that that subtle resistance is acting in my day-to-day life, and you're a hundred percent right to call out on that. And each time I see, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be there. And uh, I think it's just with almost uh, other things too. I I I add um, methyl escalin, right? Uh, malfumarate. I think I told you I'll take it. I did not end up taking it. I freaking, I I lost courage and I went back to acid. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but that day I didn't take malfium right, and then I met this friend, and oh man, I love this guy, right? I 
I love going to meditation because I meet a lot of psychedelic people there. It's great. And he has this box, right? And uh, he has more analogs than any single website that I've seen on Canada. Right? Canadian website. So if you put the kid together, all these Canadian websites, the analogs are more. But this guy had this box and I loved it. And he has this empty capsules and he's like, he has written uh, T and uh, P on top of the bottles. Right? P, uh, P for phentylamine and uh, right. P for tryptamine. tryptamine. Right? And uh, it's quite nice. He's like, what do you want to try? <laughs> and I'm like, I think I love this guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, he's great. Like, um, And the conversations are amazing. So we can have him here and yeah, yeah, yeah bring absolutely. I'd love that. Definitely. And uh, so he, he chose this. Uh, he said, um, I have 5 MEO, MIPT. Have you tried that? No, I have not. So I was like, I don't know if I want to do any 5 MEO now because I've, I've heard that it's just, you know, direct, uh, it's too much, right? Mm-hmm. But he said it's just 5 MEO DMT, which is going to be smokable. There are so many 5-MEO compounds, you know, MIPT, DIPT, PIPT, and these things all come in HCL or fumarate, and they are, you can take it orally, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. uh, I was a little assistant, but, you know, this guy, I, I like him, this conversation. Yeah. If you were to recommend something, I would, of course, you know, go and try, right? And at that point, so I held that nervousness and I took it and it was mind-blowing. It was very tactile. Mm. It was very tactile and I, I I started seeing this nuantic differences between uh, the psychedelics, right? Each one takes you, um, LSD takes me to void. If not processed properly, it can make you nihilistic. Mm. Shrooms, if not processed properly, can become very traumatic. Mm. And MIPT in that sense, uh, if not processed properly, can make you, I don't know. sexually fault or something (laughs) but that's the beauty of it right that's why the set and setting is quite important and um, I know your question was so totally different and uh, I let my thoughts take me to wherever it's going and uh, so I'm curious about these new analogs yet coming back to your question there is is an underlying nervousness yeah uh, Yeah, that's awesome losing the self Losing yes. the self. I feel like the ego creates the fear there because I think ego realizes there is an ego death because this ego has seen numerous number of times. I think there is just one ego, just like one consciousness, there is just one ego. And the ego has seen millions of psychedelic trips and maybe it has died in so many countries and so many indigenous people. And it's like, nope, not you. We yeah. got to live this life. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> and it generates fear. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, that. That's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing that. Like I, I'm gonna give. There's some things I want to get back to in there. Um, if we just start at the end of what you said, you know, when you say that there's one ego, maybe there's like one love. And if you look at ego as a loving force, like doesn't want you to get hurt, you know, I think that's a pretty good way to look at it too. It's like this overbearing mother that's like, no, don't go back there. You don't need to revisit that. It's a yeah, it, no, come on. It wasn't your fault. You know, it's just like this, this manifestation of love that is, that is, doesn't want you to get hurt. So it puts up these obstacles, you know, and on the topic of fear and psychedelics, I think if you're not, <laughs> I think if you're not afraid, they're not approaching it in the right way or you're not doing the work. Like 
you should get to spots where you're scared. Like it's, it's, it's having the courage to walk to the cliff where everyone jumps off and look down and be like, wow, these people kill themselves right here. You know, like, and it's, and once you've done it, like, so like the, the point where you took mushrooms and then you were, you got scared. Like that is you knowing the trail to suicide. Like that's a lonely road, man. And like, yeah, a lot of people hear the stories about the rock where everyone jumped from, but only a handful of people can walk to the trailhead. And then only a few out of those people will walk down that trail. And now pretty soon you're holding hands with the guy that might actually jump. And you, you know, what are you, what are you doing there? Well, what the fuck am I here for? You know, like, am I going to kill myself? Like you start having these thoughts, but you're not, you're just exploring and you're investigating. And the part, I think you were right on the money when you said that, you know, th this is the part that you, where the work is like, that's where the goal is. The, the part that you don't want to fucking look at the book, you don't want to read, but you know, you have to like, that's, that's where the real growth is done. And like, let me, if I can help. Yeah. I think if you, if you understand, okay, here's a good example. My daughter, when she was five, she was learning to ride a bike. And we had taken the training wheels off. And in my house, there's like a little cul-de-sac. And there's like a fire hydrant right here. And then it kind of wraps around this way. And so for a while, she, she, she could ride with the training wheels. We took the training wheels off. She would fall, fall, fall. And then this time, I grabbed the back seat. And I had one hand on her, on her arm bar. And I was holding the back seat. And I let go. And like she was like, you know, like a five-year-old. Like she was having trouble <laughs> balancing. And she was going. And then she fell. And she picked up. She threw her bike down. And she turned to me. Dad, I can't do it. I told you I can't do it. I don't ever want to do this anymore. Just, I, I hate you. And she's all frustrated. And I went over and I gave her a hug. And she's, ah, I told you I can't do this. I just impossible. yelling and screaming. And I go, Sky, stop, 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 stop. She's like, what? I'm like, look where you started at. You started way over there. I let go two steps after that fire hydrant. And like, it just was this realization, like, oh, I did it. And it went, you could, you could see the shift in her eyes and in her body language. And I felt like I could see a new neural connection being made. Like she was worried that she couldn't do it, but she had already done it. And so the same is for you. Like how many of your friends have not cut their hair and moved to Canada and started experimenting with psychedelics? How many people do you know that you grew up with that have done what you have done? At least I have one friend in my house now. Was, okay. was my acting as my guide before. But I, I, I do understand your point. One of the reasons I keep telling you, right, like uh, this, this needs to happen yeah. is because of lots of other constricting viewpoints come to yeah. surface, you know? Yeah. And it gets as easier. Like, it gets easier as in? It gets easier in that if you look back at the history of making these kinds of choices, like once you've done it once, you realize that it works every time. You may not get the results you want, but it works every time. <laughs> Maybe the, you know what I mean? That's where the question comes straight for me. Maybe I should let go of idea, let go of the idea of wanting these particular results. Because I think that is done again from the subjective mind. And that's that's what 
uh, as made you know i i have realized over the course of last few years like i have lost interest in maintaining relationships with a lot of people so i i think on average i talk to five to seven people in a whole year and like that's it right and um, the reason i'm saying is because uh, before i used to talk about a lot of things that that wasn't fulfilling to the soul mm you know as alan what say it's like a cl- club password hey how are you I- i'm good how are you how's the weather the weather is good you know and that that becomes the um, prelude to whatever you're going to talk about and in essence i genuinely want to go to a point of st- stopping to i think that's what i said before going to live right sometimes i really because of the conditioning i feel awkward and rambling to that question how how are you but most of the time i seem confident in doing these shitty things because on some level i understand we just we are like bunch of kids we don't know what we are doing right and uh, we can do anything we want but coming to the point when someone asks me how how are you it's it's a nice gesture but w- what is this conversation going to amount to right and when my parents ask like oh did you eat did you sleep properly i'm like i i feel like let's leave these conversations alone this these are basic things now if i mm. if i'm hungry i'm going to eat and if i'm if i need to poop i'm going to go to the toilet it's fine i'm potty trained right now let's come to aspects that are affecting us subtly at a subtler level why why am i reacting to these this way right let's stop seeing outside let's let's focus on what could i do better so let's try twisting so for i think my friend who's here and i when we were in a group of 15 20 people uh, most of the times you know if they ask us something before we could answer we like oh it's going to be some philosophical answer we don't want to know mm-hmm. right and because of that i lost touch and with a lot of people it was kind of scary in the beginning but then it became one of the most uh, best decisions i've made for my own sanity and being peaceful like i can just be peaceful <laughs> no effort needed you know and no mm-hmm. and one of the things again psychedelics and have done for me was take out this preparation aspect of life again nothing bad in preparing it just for me it has taken out my my work has come to like how can i convince myself to kill myself this second <laughs> that's all it is wait so know, tell I, me yeah tell me again about the Tell me again about your idea of preparation like it's taken away the idea of preparation for you? Yes. So there are two kinds of preparation. Okay. Let's talk about uh, our podcast alone, right? Okay. One is preparing what to talk. One is preparing the mindset having preparing as in planning to create the link and send it beforehand. So I'm uh-huh. talking about the preparation for those. If I when I have my podcast I'm going to send you a link when your podcast you send me a link. Uh-huh. I I do not want to talk about that preparation. Right? I want to talk about the preparation where I have something to say. You know what I mean? This is one of the things we had uh, uh, you ask us in the panel about debates why it is not as successful as it should be. What can people do? right for me i have personally seen that the world has convinced me to prepare for every single aspect 
right one of and it has one in one way it has helped me because i wouldn't be in canada otherwise and that's the mm-hmm. funny part it's so yeah. paradoxical right it's the same thing you tell me uh about cultures right now you're fighting against culture but what if culture was the reason that you know you realize this and and that's beautiful and that's how i think it is like uh, few lucky conscious beings just gets to see the matrix for what it is and get the chance to step out of it whenever they can right mm-hmm. through a, any practice and in that way for me i got so frustrated in having to decide what to do what to wear what how to act what are the things to say and it took away the human inside me the spontaneity inside me like if i had something to say i for me it was a practice of not preparing because i brought life into what i am doing because the other way for me was again i was very polarized right so i mm-hmm. went into the extreme of becoming obsessed with it right and now i know i could talk about the balance between preparation and you know obsession mm-hmm. getting it midway but i rather side with one again i'm going to polar because as i said in in this world i do not see as individual having balance as a society we can have a balance right and for that the fight has to be there the extreme opinions has to be there and one of those extreme opinions i have is if you want to be a couch potato be a couch potato <laughs> do not do anything do not do anything life will happen take care of yourself see that's again uh, which we talked about where that part of preparation just like creating that stream yard link mm-hmm. like that be self sustaining again this i don't know if i should say this in li- live but it's the part where if you want to kill yourself kill yourself but if you want to live make sure you create your your surroundings to live if you are hungry you know make sure those things i wouldn't want to be dependent on another person because that is going to take away their time for their meditative work to sustain us mm-hmm. so that's how is so get to that part of self sustaining and that's all you need to do that's all you need to do and you have the choice to either do that or stop existing you know in that way we do not uh, we get terrified of discussions right death is one of those things along with that suicide is one of those things one of the reasons i f- feel deep down we should joke more about suicides we should talk more about it you know not in a demeaning way it's that mm-hmm. that why are we when we realize what are we trying to kill when we truly realize what are we trying to kill and if we the more we talk about it we don't want to kill it because we as much as we are thoughts and brahma said we are also giving a living a life of thought some most of the times addiction is about like talking it and we do no one wants to actually do things you know not in a bad way again don't get me wrong in, in the sense that sometimes you know you talk about it, it's like ah it was nice nice okay <laughs> i actually don't want to do it it sounds crazy when i say it out of my mouth right <laughs> so in that sense i have got into the point of like what if we don't prepare what if we just live and that's why I, my my dad still thinks that get out of this phase get out of this phase of you know not having something to look forward for tomorrow <laughs> what do i say to people what is the next thing you are doing in life nothing maybe eating drinking <laughs> sleeping like uh, this is just human life do do those things have fun in it 
you don't need to prepare you know same same like doing dishes there is we have this resistance to going to the sink or going to cooking or going to something again it's all from personal experience mm-hmm. right and most of the resistance is nothing like because once you go and you start doing it doesn't seem to be a task anymore it's an interaction it's a dance it's it's just happening where where, where is the resistance coming from i i think that you know there there's especially in the west there's these ideas of people don't plan to fail they fail to plan and you know like and, and while it's impossible to thoroughly understand what's going to happen and in some ways it's a bizarre thing to do you know you can live your life in the future and understand in some degree what that life might look like and then you can choose to pursue that or not the chances of you manifesting the exact life in your mind that you think is pretty much zero but it can move you on that path like you can have relationships with people that may or may not manifest and in doing so you can prepare to be the best version of yourself in those relationships when i think about preparing and i think about death Like can you tell me a time in your life where you have lost somebody that you loved with your whole heart and how you reacted to it That is unfortunately something that hasn't happened in my life so I have no idea how my fear of death has been hidden deep inside because when my grandparents probably passed away yeah I did cry and stuff but it was when I was 5 years old I mean sorry no 10 years old right so I mm-hmm. still didn't understand the full facet and again you're in the developing stage there was no proper uh, understanding of death or giving the meaning of death or handling grief mm-hmm. from indian families it's more of like oh just sit and cry it'll find one one more thing as you said uh, yeah. fail to plan quote right there is one more quote will come back to um, time heals let's talk about that later but coming back to this yeah. so i haven't had the that thing but f- for me i am this insanely obsessed person about having this idea that this fear of death yep mm-hmm. this is stemming all desires <laughs> all, every single action is stemmed from that so in one dimension it's a useless conversation in a individual level when we start seeing it that way i am more curious of how beautiful our subconscious mind is is it has this thing suppressed deep down very deep down for us to process um for us to act normally right mm. uh, the, have you read the book uh, denial of death no uh, it's by this author called ernest becker okay. um who is nice again uh, this guy i told right who had this collection of analogs his name is sam he gave me the book uh, pickle and denial of death since we were talking about uh, these and it was nice right so for me having read these books and having had psychedelic experiences when i start dismissing all the things that were concepts are not truly essential for my life all that remained was why am i not killing myself in a very interesting way i wanted to i had suicidal tendencies before my psychedelics in a very serious mm-hmm. way it's mm-hmm. like oh man this is i can't do what you got to do these things like i would rather right. you know I didn't go to any extreme to do anything but I was totally frustrated you know I was I locked myself in a room and I kept getting drunk every single day or every other day and between those two days I was having headable of uh, 
100 mg cannabis right right now i take five and i'm in a really good flow state and i was taking 100 to dumb numb myself right yeah all yeah. these beautiful tools i was misusing to just avoid the question of like man i want to i had this frustration of killing myself rather than seeing what is the part i want to kill but we yeah. we, we do not <clears throat> learn to be as you said we are the harshest self critic more than that we also do not learn to be gentle with ourselves initially at least yeah i wasn't gentle with myself and after my psychedelic trips and i started seeing this the same questions i had the same taboo topics of death which i shouldn't talk about i started seeing this suicide and all these things like why can't we jokingly talk about it therapy does nothing more than give the safe space of getting it out just so you hear your own words how such mm-hmm. a lunatic you are that's what uh, i read a quote right everyone is a lunatic those yeah. who analyze their lunacy are called philosophers right and, <laughs> and it's 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 just that and there is nothing um the so many rushing thoughts comes because there was so much agitation in my previous life to mm-hmm. get things done have a status game prove yourself to society right and when these three are broken you're searching for identity the identity my friend who took lsd yeah. one month back he was like dude i have a severe <laughs> identity crisis i'm like welcome to the club nice if you if you live the rest of your life with the identity crisis you're liberated <laughs> yeah you know, that's what i think goenka says in buddhist meditation you got to be equanimous accept situations as it is and the reason you need to be meditate you need to do meditation every single day is so that in the moment of death you are able to be equanimous most times our uh, death fear are so suppressed that we don't seem to think that oh i i'm not afraid of death i'm i'm going to die mhm right yeah we have that intellectual thought i, I i'm just going to speak personally for me and at least uh, for my partner we keep talking about this our ideas revolve and the moment we are in an altered state of consciousness and to be able to see death upon itself is frightening and threatening to the point it's liberating again it's paradoxical but when it's suppressed we think we might not react to it but the moment comes we kind of react to it so right now if you if i talk i can say that i can take penis in me now yeah the moment i go closer something is happening my heart is racing so why is my body reacting where is this happening so there is a lot within us that is not um pro- processed yet or a lot of the subconscious is controlling our actions i don't know And- i think me i think maybe that's the conscious i think you have the i think that you have the idea to do it but you're holding back right and i before i get there let me say this like what makes you think you didn't kill yourself when you were doing yeah i i did kill myself i told yeah. my parents like your son is dead you as parents are also done so now let's start a new kind of transaction in a in a, in a communication way or mm-hmm. an engagement way so social way forget all these labels you know i am at least oh. according to science you know at 25 your uh, prefrontal lobe is developed let's say you know if that's the hypothesis i want to believe i i do not know i those are just one lines i write read right so i don't know if it's 100% true so assuming that is 100% true 
you are going to the, the same capability you have in making decisions i also have now so mm-hmm. you you need to respect that and these healthy boundaries have to be understood and in that sense there is a depth of me the what the sun you knew and what the plans you had for that particular person is dead mm-hmm. so in that sense that happened that is why i am telling you right now, right now yeah. when i talk about that it's so jolly but i was right. like that that used to be i something i cannot talk about right and i i also feel like uh, this was this is coming from sam is is a canadian right and he says it's not just indian people because i haven't met as many canadian people and this guy has met right so he said that is an uncomfortable topic in the west too they mm-hmm. they just don't react as much as indians they just subtly stop listening to you or start like oh my god like these are conversations i don't want to have like it doesn't make sense it's not going to... the most important thing is that we are answering system based questions on divine based answers we are like we talk about death we say it's not going to pay my bills <laughs> okay wait let me let me pause for a minute like how old are you right now you're 24 27 27 I started okay. my journey on 24. Okay. Yeah. So I agree like you you are reborn. Like I can totally hear the lev- the level of contemplation that you have been going through is it makes me a little bit jealous because I don't think I could think this deep when I was your age. And what you have gone through to get where you are speaks volumes of your ability to analyze not only your life but the life you used to live and having the fortitude to build a new life that's fucking amazing to me dude however however imagine which is going to be tough for you to do but imagine your son calling you and saying dad you're dead to me like on some level and and here's the fucking crazy part about being a son like I fought like my dad chased me out of the pool cue. All right, right, you know, and like we fought or whatever. But I'll be damned if I haven't had to go back to him with my tail between my legs and be like you were right. And he just is like, "Yeah, I know, dummy." <laughs> He's laughing at me like, "Yeah, I know, man." <laughs> and so dude, I just I want you to prepare for this thing in that yes, right now you are 100% right. And the 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 moves you're making are the moves that you have to make. Like you had to be reborn to become the Ranga you are now. And the Ranga you are now is going to be probably better than you can ever imagine. But on that same token, it's also a Ranga that your parents could never imagine. So while you died and you had told mom dad the son is dead to you, on some level they can't understand what you're saying. So they're perceiving it in a way that is probably the worst way possible for them and it's it's there it's not that they want to contain you or force you to stick to these standards it's that they don't want to lose the 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 one thing in their life that they're so goddamn proud of that that is doing the things like you're doing things that your father wished he could have done you're doing things that your mom is secretly so fucking proud of that like she's probably inside her mind like yeah it's my son you know and then but for them to hear the things that you're saying is not being taken the way you're saying them i think and like that's probably why you're getting all that feedback at least from that understanding and like i i i think that there's some sort of ideas about death that that 
it is uncomfortable because not because when you say death and someone else says death, unless you have a two hour conversation about death and we define our terms, yes. people have totally different ideas, you know, especially yes. when you're talking about people who have been around like, like, like on some level, like I think you're going to get your wish about being really close to death. Like we all are like, you know what I mean? Like we're all going to get to be close to it in a way that is really uncomfortable. And regardless if you can, hopefully at the time you can laugh about it. hopefully you can be at your friend's funeral and play stairway to heaven and like, you know, hide some, you know, at least in, in my mind, I hope that that's what happens. But experience has taught me that the majority of people are unable to look at death the way you and I, and maybe some other people can look at it. And when the, the fucking pale horse comes riding, it's tough to be not. It's the same idea. Like on some level, I think that that's what the psychedelics may be preparing us for is that idea of death, be it ego death or real death. Imagine the feeling you had on mushrooms when you were thinking about these decisions you were making and the, and the uncomfortableness that it may still bring up now. Imagine that, but not being able to get past that. You know what I mean? Like, Imagine not being able to have another conversation with someone to tell them you're sorry. Imagine not being able to find joy in a simple conversation that means nothing. Like sometimes I think that as deep as you want to have conversations that only have meaning, maybe there is ultimate beauty in finding meaning in the conversation that is just, how's the weather today? You know, like maybe there's some meaning in there that, Maybe you're talking to someone that admires you in a way, but doesn't know what to say to you. And so all they can say is, how's the weather? And like, but that for them is, is big, you know, I, yeah. I, I hope you don't discount that. I, I, I love this. You know, this is where uh, I used to wonder, you said we have different opinions, right? This yeah. is what you, when you bring to the table, right? There is a realization, whatever I say, I do not say with this um, certainty. Right, each, right, right. each thing I'm saying, it's a temporary point of view, which is going to consistently keep changing, right? So I have yes. this view and from a different point of view that is brought forth by either my partner or you or people that I talk to. It's amazing. And you see from there and yeah, man, you know, it's true. It's not. And you see that every single one has a good intention, right? Yes. It's the same way, you know, the reason you want to say, uh, introduce the word X before uh, the letter X before all the words to mean that it's honesty. Uh, I, that's the part I say when people ask about whether I do not want to talk about weather or climate change. I want to talk about, you know, that's the part of conversation that I want to change. But still, it's um, something that I am doing. I want the change, right? Yes. So in that, it becomes always the self journey. With respect to your question about what if my son said I was dead, it, it took me a lot of time to I wouldn't say I've reached that part of understanding, but it's getting better with respect to understanding the feeling of love, detachment, and letting whatever you love do what it's doing. Mm. To truly, and yeah, so right now my focus on death is very strong that every other day when I'm having uh, a bong or even a joint, right? Like it 
yeah. takes me right into this paranoia and i i don't get it's pretty pretty terrifying and, and you know you it's difficult to put these feelings into words so in my thought it comes as like wait if i get diagnosed with this uh, terminal disease i am going to this hospital what, what is that i'm afraid of about and most of the times uh, i'm more afraid of the transition rather than the actual non existence how am i going to transit the pain of transition and so okay this is the death of self and the people that i've been attached to for so so long in life were my parents right yeah. so there is a lot of uh, death fear going around with them they are 60 but i am that's all my preparation i have got to do i try to prepare yeah. for the death of my dogs my partner them because there is no preparation of death for me because that i feel like this is where it hits me that death is not something that i experience the experiencer in that sense dies and then that is being perceived as death on the outside world mm-hmm. so it is quite difficult to hear shocking statements from people who have changed their views drastically but it also comes to the point where if we do not do these if we do not have these discussions and conversation broaden our scope of understanding the world in some way we are killing ourselves i feel like so again seems very harsh thing to say sometimes i talk to parents or people and i feel like no man i i don't want this conversation happening because i feel like there is no listener that side and because of that there is a judgment this side or because of the judgment i feel like there is no listener that side and this is there doesn't seem to be a harmonious activity happening mm-hmm. it seems more of a compulsion right mm-hmm. uh, so how do we and that is where the uncomfortableness comes you know a little bit yeah. of uncomfortableness here and there and uh, the feeling of something within life right like it it has to come for for me the conversation so f- when when we are talking right this is the peak of my life when i microdose with my friend that's the peak of the life like uh, there is no mind tries to compare but there is no comparison you look back at a particular point in time it can be the peak of your life and my work kind of lies there in just detaching from these things right even with my partner the relationship aspect uh, we've been together 3 years but we got closer so much in the last 8 10 months because of you know a lot of uh, suffering that happened last year and uh, the lsd trip this uh, january mm. right and uh, it's so liberating now there is a there is a theory in existential psychotherapy that people are not truly afraid of uh, other people's death each time they see death their eventually their subconscious realization of their own death comes to a little bit of the surface mm. and you know and coping mechanisms come along so our job would be to put these coping mechanisms away and let all things arise from the subconscious mm-hmm. like i i do understand see this is the part george we yeah. can keep talking for so long and we can these these words are noises and we create and give meaning right and uh, you can literally say anything and in some way a meaning can be derived out of it that's how mm-hmm. it is and in that sense when you say the subconscious is also you and you do not want to um, you know you're just afraid of taking that move something is uh, but you are only stopping yourself that's what i say now you're saying you are just you and subconscious i'm saying scrub the line and you see everything is you 
and now the problem starts you don't see it as a problem so the the same way i am dealing with my subconscious as like i am awareness and subconscious is subconscious as the other entity right it can be a battle also if i choose to but sometimes this labeling allows me to see that i need to interact with it like it's it's i see it as a, like a fighting match you know a boxing match i love this analogy where uh, when people box right they do not fight the person because of like subjective views or idea they fight for the fun of it they break their noses they you know they see these mm. things and they hug it out right they do not go about fighting in the streets the next day and the boxers do not show off their talent every single second like whenever they see you know instead of greeting like this in indian <laughs> culture they are like yep you know they don't do that and we got to understand that part with self awareness that whatever we say it's all situation related mm-hmm. you know i cannot go to a, a funeral house and say that Why the fuck are you crying? He's not dead. You you bury them. He will be eaten by mushrooms. That's not the right time. But that's what I want to say. That's my. I would say that's my calling to go and make people if they're suffering suffer more. What yeah, can yeah. happen? You can't die. <laughs> suffer more. <laughs> suffer a bit more. Like suffer to the point. Ask yourself, why the fuck is this guy frustrating me? Why yeah. am I? And we change that part. When why am I getting frustrated? And. it was a really good question about um, what if my son told me that he's dead i said and i feel like i want this whole world to act as such you know this mm. takes me to this most uh, uh, sensitive discussions of i think jason and you had and uh, even how to change your mind they were talking about pot mm-hmm. and uh, it's restricted use to indigenous people i'm sorry i do not agree with the point of view you know because for me psychedelic took me beyond to show there is no us in them so if i have 10 pieces of strip and there are 10 people interested and i wouldn't decide i wouldn't decide that oh my friend is coming tomorrow fuck that that's tomorrow the world <laughs> could end tonight so why are we not passionately passionately living like this today is the end of the world you know it's a stoic thought to ponder as well right you know and the pot guys were saying and the indigenous people were saying like at least for 100 years we need it for our children you know this this distinction is driving us apart you know the more you give the more you're going to get back we are we are talking about supply chain issues and problems like that those are not actual concerns it's the idea that of of separating this there is still an mm-hmm. us and them at a subtler level right yeah if if we start working towards that and if you know if they were to give pot to everyone right now instead of their own thing it's just a thought right it's right. it's not actual but if if they were to give there might be out of that 1% of people who are truly passionate about the plant and they start growing it and by extension it's going to start if supply chain is the only concern it's going to boom because they start see the potential right likewise i feel like if everyone felt like oh you you are dead to me and you want to go you go this is what you want to do be free to do that i want you to do what you exactly want to do enjoy you know and whenever we are restricting other people to not let do that and then the work comes to us why am i stopping mhm i'm stopping there uh, again ramdas ramdas i love man i've been understanding a lot more of his words and uh, you know when i go to facebook there are these uh, points i come this is nice and he says that uh, whenever i act with people even with the subtlest of the model to change them 
at the deeper level of the other person i sense there is a resistance and because of the resistance they shut up they shut off rather than that i have learned over the course of years that i need to embrace people with whatever they are what maharaji did to me i am here to do to people it's a very hard journey because i am a very judgmental person right and we always have that's yeah. why i think i message that those topics that is models and uh, unconscious bias right and mm-hmm. we need these models like the model you tell your daughter let's see you started here you have gone there it's a temporary model that she needs to learn a bigger model but sure. eventually she's going to go to a point where like no george you're dead to me we need that we need that not in a bad way say that you're dead and still interact positively and then see what has died the tension has died once i say i'm dead to people and so i'm i'm dead to you josh the conversation is happening so what's that when the 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 death we are facing i think we have already discussed it's it's the idea of the people there is no reality to it there is no reality the first point we discussed in our podcast is that you are nothing but a bunch of personalities right so if we say it's just personalities entailed in this particular body is that the idea of you that exists in people's mind when we consider the physical death and if you are either burnt or buried you are you are just converted into something else you are not gone anywhere just like no cleaning is ever done we just transfer dirt from one place to another <laughs> right there is true, yeah. a, there is no there is no cleaning as such like eradicating dust we just yeah. keep keep on moving it and it's such a funny thing same with people when they die so the physical body dies the personalities they add that personality and habit patterns is present through so many people the same thing you do 75 mg aco dmt someone else might be doing uh, a person would be married to this person and have a 6 year old daughter and living in avoy that personality might be in another person so of course you can put all these pers- bunch of personalities together it will be in a different number of people but it still exists in them right and let's forget all those and see it logically the people you talk to the girl you are raising she's going to have values that you carry right so you are living through her but the we are so caught up with the idea of you know something idea of something idea of this person and it's very hard it's really hard because this conceptual part if you are able to understand and start you know uh, processing it mm-hmm. the conversations become more uh, again these words seem meaningless the, the conversations become deep what is deep here so it's just it becomes more fulfilling you know you you're mm-hmm. not compelled to do it for for me my life has become from compulsion to free will that's that's what that's how i would uh, say <laughs> it's liberating that's a beautiful way it's it's because you you can do the work people can choose to be confined you know if there's if you know if 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 we are all contained in our own prisons then the prison is just a manifestation of our mind but so too is liberation then right like what whatever it is it's 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 a choice in some way and it it, it kind of saddens me in a way because at some point if you look at us as a whole and i take your point that that it's the fear of death so when i see someone else die i see part of myself dying 
And it's that for me, it's that part that people get hung up on, whether they're consciously understanding the fear of themselves dying or if they manifest it as someone else they don't know dying. Either way, they're still dying. And I think at a certain point, and I, I hope I don't reach ever reach this point, but it's this idea that you get to a point where you either, I think you just have to accept it or you just, yeah, I, I think that maybe, maybe acceptance is dying, right? Like if you accept the fact that you're going to die, then you've already died. And then that brings us to Kevin Holt's idea of he who dies before he dies, never dies. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's my WhatsApp uh, thing. It's Eckhart Tolle's thing. It's it's quite true. It's quite true. Again, it yeah. took a lot of time to understand, right? Yeah. Because the words that we are introduced to in the world about death and stuff are just superficial words. There is always a deeper meaning in all the words. And uh, the, our life becomes just an exploration of all these things. Like, it's... Um, I also see this the one way because of how serious my life was tended to I see yeah. life as one big joke <laughs> you know and uh, when I see videos like Osho having this title in YouTube and for one hour he talks about how it's a joke and it, in that sense it's true but you just can't go and tell it to people when you know they are going through that process so that's where we need the time and space to heal right right this acceptance has to happen in complete silence and awareness you know it's a lot of energy related work and i think that's where meditation comes right you know when people die they they have a 10 to 13 day ceremony in india which i used to be like this is crazy fucked up man what's wrong with you you know and i told you my dad has uh, he did Two days back, he went for his 56th anniversary of his dad. And I'm so sorry. And thank God my dad doesn't see this video. So even if he sees, I'll just say too much more that <laughs> so publicity. Any negative publicity is also publicity. <laughs> but seriously, um, so those things that were the, done, you know, the 13-day function uh, in India, or the Indian culture, was to provide that support system and structure, right? Like someone is there taking care of things you know, with respect to taking care of people, the funeral activities, you take the time to contemplate, mm -hmm. you know, and crying can be part of it. But I think on some level, crying seems to be the end of it. You know, it doesn't, it's not seen as the beginning of processing. It's like, why does it need to cry? And this is where I, I also feel like time heals is one of the most misconceived words I've seen in recent times, right? If you give enough time, if you do not do the work, nothing will heal. It just goes into your subconscious that you forget about it. <laughs> you know, you think it's fine, but your subconscious is now deciding what actions you're going to do without your conscious choice. You just, you're going to be present by it. So when, when we truly say time heals, we need time to create that space where we can do the work because this work it's just internal work. You sit with it. You sit with it. Right. And uh, right. We, we are not told to even even in India. My partner has gone to India now and she's just being told that. Why are you not normal? <laughs> right. And this it's like no such thing. <laughs> but more than that, it's like um, you can be normal too. This is the age to be normal. Right. And uh, yeah, there, there are so many things. 
that comes and see this is where uh, i'm trying to say all these things that comes as anger i try to redirect sometimes mm-hmm. i just go out and say and it's not what i want to do but eventually that becomes the point of trigger for me to start looking what is this trying to tell me why i why do i have the yeah. anger because i have done all those actions when i say i have lived this life and i do not have the particular desire to do something so in some light time i was this greedy person who you know i was a slave owner probably i did bunch of stuff you know and uh, that's where that's for the logical rational mind to see that there is a stream of consciousness that flows through uh, death birth cycle and there is a philosophical side of oh there is no no one there is no you there is no me right we we need to use whatever tools we can whenever we can for for me i am obsessed about this. this is the only work i do this is the only thing any activity i do any time i'm sad be sad have the with the perception that i can be detached what is going wrong here what is going wrong what is going wrong and it's a, as you said it's the choice we make whatever prison that the mind creates the mind can also liberate itself from it right yeah. and the words like uh, a mind is a good servant but a very horrible master right and it's true i have seen how much i have been terrified of life terrified of things terrified of sex talking to girls because sex has been so such a bad thing i couldn't do anything i couldn't talk to girls for so until 22 i have not talked to a girl properly can you imagine that i i i think women were afraid to talk to me because i was so handsome so i kind of can <laughs> No, I you know what? I don't think you're alone, man. I think that it's relationships between men and women. Like you know what? Like I want to go I I I don't I have it's to okay. go. I don't want to leave, dude. I don't cuz I feel All like right. we're just starting to get into some awesome stuff. Let me go through a couple things though real fast before I leave. Yes. Like this is real I really enjoy this long and I feel like we're just getting started cuz I could go for another 2 hours. I feel like we're really moving through some things that are really fun and that can be help to people. So let's see what Let's come down here to Hank. Our friend Hank has said a couple of things. He said Timothy Leary said if you don't have an ego death experience, you haven't had enough. I think that was I think McKenna had said something similar too like he had said something like if you're going to take something and the amount you take doesn't make you cower in fear and say holy shit I've taken too much I'm going to die, then you haven't taken enough. Yeah. And I, I think also he says that uh this is for Leary 400 micrograms he says is to be some sort of a minimum oh. um it's yeah that's that's a that's a solid amount i um then that's timothy leary so th- consider the source <laughs> you know oh, what yeah. i mean oh i i love this yeah. part where he said um yes uh wow rang i hope you can pay for the serious therapy that george is giving you i truly agree because i was literally thinking word by word when you were saying that <laughs> Ah uh, Ranga how is uh, do you think that night uh, when your friend came into the room do you think it's affecting you yeah, like yeah <laughs> thanks for calling me bullshit but yeah well that, look the, the only reason i know that is because i i have that exact like you can i can't see something in you that i don't see in myself like so i see all of it i think that that's why our conversations are so fun is that you get to see yourself in someone else and there there's something so liberating and exciting and also 
frightening about that. It's like, oh man, that's me. Oh, that's me. Oh, that's me. Oh, that's me. You know, and it's it's like the game of peekaboo. Like, oh, peekaboo, there I am. You know. <laughs> but yeah, so Ranga, I I love this man. I think you're an amazing person. I'm so stoked to get to to have met you and carry on these conversations. And it, I'll be thinking about this stuff most of the day. So I, I thank you for that. It's like the gift that keeps on giving it. Ben, Hank, thank you guys so much. Um, I'm looking forward to all our future conversations. Uh, that's what we got. Where can people find you, Ranga? You've got your own podcast now. Have you? Do you have a hosting site? And uh, have you uh, finished editing something? Or what's your time frame here? No, I after the last talk, my work week started, and I worked yeah. eleven days. So I haven't gotten to that. My right. partner has the copy. She's in India. I think she has edited it. So once that's done, we'll. Put it on Spotify and YouTube, nice. and uh, yeah, I, I, I'm obviously you're gonna be the first guest because I, I, I want to ask you the question when I bring you is like, how stupid were you to invite a person like me? Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know when I, I saw your message is like, oh, before you give that answer, I, I, I read your thing like, um, your invite was beautiful, right, with the book quotes and stuff. It's like, but dude, I. Why me? Like, why are you trying so much with me? I, I, <laughs> and you know, and that, I love that energy that you have carried from day one that I've known you. And uh, it's amazing that has given a lot of confidence. And you're one of the major reasons that if the podcast was to be outside, it's uh, definitely you. And uh, that's you. there. And I'm, I'm there on LinkedIn. So I'm free to reply to all kinds of interesting conversations, right? I'm just just make sure that I'm not a serious person, so do not get offended. I see a lot of clinically insane stuff, like your stupid fool, George. You know, go with that thought. Think about how much of a stupid fool you are for the rest of the day, and I, I'll think about how much nervous I am about the penis in me. So that's the takeaway of the podcast. It's perfect. It's beautiful. I, I can't even add any more to that. I will talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you for everything, and have a Thank you. tremendous day. All right. Okay. Bye. See you.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.